2: fetal presentation and position are often overlooked until an expectant mom is told that her baby is breech what does breech mean and what are the delivery options for a breech birth today we'll be discussing breech presentation in late pregnancy and childbirth this is Preggy pals
3: um is that a plus sign
2: pink or blue
3: hospital or home birth what type of food should i be eating
0: i think i just peed myself i'm pregnant And I have to exercise? What pregnancy glow?
2: Wait, was that a contraction?
0: (laughs) Gotta (laughs) make these pants fit!
3: I've got kinkles! What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms, and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your
2: way. Welcome to Preggy Pals. Preggy Pals is your online, on-the-go support group for expecting parents and those hoping to become pregnant. I'm your host, Stephanie Glover. How do you listen to Preggy Pals? You can listen to our episodes through our website, our free apps, and several other platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn, and Google Play Music. If you haven't already, please visit our website at newmommymedia.com and subscribe to our Preggy Pals newsletter. You'll get updates every time a new episode is released, and you'll also learn more about episodes from our other New Mommy Media shows that might interest you. Here's Sunny with details on how you can get more involved with Preggy Pals.
3: All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Preggy Pals. And so we here at Preggie Pals, we're recording our shows a little bit differently. And this is really good for everyone that's listening because it is now easier than ever for you to join our shows. And so if you have a computer, if you have a good internet connection, and a couple other small little things that most people have, you can join our show. So if you want more information about that, you can go to our website at newmommymedia.com. Click on the banner there that talks about getting involved with our show shows and basically you can fill out a just a really quick online form that just gives us some more information about you so we can reach out to you when we're doing episodes that might interest you and then also you can join our Facebook group where we post all of the topics and times for our upcoming taping so it's nice because you don't have to travel anywhere you can do this straight from your computer and just have some really good conversations with us so we welcome you to be part of that so check out our website for more information <coughs> All right. So before we kick off our episode today, we want to give some props to our listeners that are leaving us reviews. So, you know, as Stephanie mentioned, the beginning part of the show, you know, we're on a bunch of different platforms. You know, you can listen to podcasts in a wide variety of ways. And so we're available in a lot of different places. Still, iTunes is probably the biggest place that, you know, most of our listeners come from. And so we like to highlight the different reviews and iTunes is all based on reviews. So if you're listening to a show, it might, say like at the bottom, hey, if you like this episode or this type of content, we recommend you listen to this content. And the way they find that content and they make those recommendations is by reviews and people starring different shows, you know, leaving them X amount of stars for the show or actually leaving a comment. And so we want to give some props today for one of our listeners for leaving a comment because this is how people find out about our show. So it's so important. So this comes from Hawaii Vanna and she says the title of it is Love These Girls girls and she gave us five stars. It's a real quick comment, but she said, thank you for such an amazing resource on the go. Love listening to this while I exercise. And so I don't know if you can relate to that, Stephanie. I know I listen to podcasts and also I'm kind of a big audio book person, but I love, you know, using, you know, I know you love to exercise and and eat right and do all that good stuff. So do you ever, you know, listen to stuff kind of
2: audio type content when you're doing that? You know, actually not when I exercise because I typically do it off of video, (laughs) Uh but I listen to a lot of podcasts in my car. Um, if I'm driving any more than 10 minutes, we're listening yeah. to podcasts. So, so um, yeah, I, I love them. I'm addicted now. I have my go-tos and I now realize I should probably give some some shout outs to the podcast I love. So now I'm inspired.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Well, I know a lot of moms listen to us when they're out like pushing their stroller or mm-hmm. um, doing like multitasking. Like, you're, you know, you're trying to get, you know, dinner ready for the night or whatever. You just put your kids down and you're just trying to relax a little bit. A lot of moms are multitasking. Which is one of the reasons we decided to create the format, you know, and just be, you know, primarily audio for this. And so we know you're busy multitasking mamas and dads out there <laughs> and uh, you want to make the most of your time. So again, thank you so much to Hawaii Vanna for leaving us this review. It's super easy to leave a review. So if you're interested in that, pretty much just go to again, whatever platform look for like a ratings or review section. And it's usually pretty quick, uh, pretty easy to just leave that review. And it does help us a lot. So again,
2: We have a special format today on Preggie Pals. We're learning all about breech presentation and delivery options for breech babies from not one but two experts today Dr. Stuart Fishbein, a fellow of the American College of OBGYN, and Dr. Elliot Berlin, Doctor of Chiropractic. Doctor Fishbein has collaborated with midwives for thirty years and currently supports women with informed birth choices in the home setting. Doctor Berlin is a prenatal chiropractor, childbirth educator, and labor doula. He is also an executive producer of the film Heads Up The Disappearing Art of Vaginal breech Delivery. Welcome to to Pals, gentlemen.
4: Thank you. Oh, thanks, Stephanie. Glad to be here.
2: So, Dr. Fishbein, let's start by explaining what breech presentation means.
4: Well, quite simply, breech presentation just means that the baby's uh, butt is coming first rather than the, the head, um, or transversely where the baby's laying sideways. So breech means butt first, and there are several different types of breech uh, presentations. The most common is what we call frank breech which is similar to a, the diving pike position, where the, the feet are up by the face. And the second the most common is the complete breach uh, presentation, which is more like the tuck position that you'd be in if you were doing a somersault. And then there's something called the incomplete breech, where one leg is up and one leg is down. Um, those are the three most common, but by far the most common is frank breech.
2: Okay, so uh, yeah, I was going to ask at what point in pregnancy is the baby most likely to settle into that breach position and stay there?
4: Well, babies can be breached anytime during the pregnancy. It's really not a concern for us until maybe a 32, 34 weeks if the baby's breached at that point or it's been breached consistently uh, for many, many weeks. It's probably time to consider uh, paying attention to it, maybe trying to do some simple things position-wise or chiropractic-wise uh, or acupuncture or online with spinning babies to try to get that um, baby to start turning. I'm not too concerned about it uh, till about 34, 36 weeks. I'm a little more concerned in a prima gravita than I am in a multigravita. Primogravita has left room for those babies to move. They have much more muscle tone generally. And so it's a little bit harder for a baby that's Frank breech to turn. Uh, the closer you get to term. And that's partly because the babies are getting bigger and the amount of fluid around them is getting slightly less. And so there's just, logistically, it's a little harder for that baby to turn.
1: Yeah. I mean, Dr. Stu is, is, uh, definitely out of the ordinary when it comes to an obstetrician. Um, in my experience, most of the OBs that I, I work with don't really check for breach until 35, 36, or 37 weeks. And I think it's primarily because, uh, there's nothing that they can do about it until 37 weeks. The medical approach to getting breach babies to turn head down is not typically done before 36 to 37 weeks. Uh, the other part of it is because the babies have a greater chance of turning spontaneously earlier than that. I agree. I, I always like to, uh, I had a little campaign on Facebook for a while, check for breach at 32 weeks. And um, usually obstetricians won't, midwives sometimes do at 32 or 33 or 34, they start wondering about the position. But And it's true at 32 weeks, there's a greater than 50% chance the baby will still turn, even if we don't do anything. But the thing is, number one, there's a lot you can do at 32 weeks to encourage the baby into the ideal position. So our patients that we see at 32 weeks, we have more of a 90% success rate at getting them head down at that point rather than the 50% that seems more typical. Um, And so at 32 weeks, I'll tell our patients there's no red flag yet at this moment, but there is a pink flag. Uh, 90% or so of babies are head down already at that point and now's a good time to start exploring the things that you can do to encourage the baby to get into that head down position and by 34 35 weeks I would definitely be looking at if the baby still breech options for delivery in case the baby doesn't turn into the head down position
2: right and so since you're a prenatal chiropractor what are some chiropractic techniques to encourage a breech baby to flip
1: So there's a technique called the Webster technique that dates back to the 1970s, a chiropractor named Dr. Larry Webster. And it's not a breech-specific technique. It's become known that because many babies turn into the ideal position after receiving it. But uh, Dr. Webster was sort of looking at the pelvic paradox. How come sometimes you have a a really roomy pelvis and a relatively small baby that gets stuck on the way out, and sometimes you have uh, a more compact, smaller pelvis with a larger baby? And they come through very smoothly. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a field of pelvimetry, trying to measure the the size of the baby and the size of the pelvis and sort of guesstimating which babies will make it through and which babies won't. And over the years, we've done that in different ways, using x-rays or more recently using ultrasound and now MRI. And we get these really clear, beautiful pictures, but they don't tell us very much. We Babies that we think won't make it through surprise us and come through sometimes really easily. And babies that seem like a great fit get stuck. And so in the 70s, Dr. Webster was wondering, what's the difference? You know, what what's the difference between a baby that'll make it through and a baby that won't? And one of the factors that nobody's really looking at in pilvimetry is function. You know, we consider, we look at the from a musculoskeletal perspective, we look at trying to uh, at giving birth is trying to squeeze a, a large basketball through a small rubber band. Mm-hmm. And uh, if that rubber band is elastic and stretchy and the basketball is not overly inflated, then, you know, functionally, it's not a problem. But if the basketball were to be very hard and inflated, which a baby's head isn't, and um, the pelvis was rigid, didn't move at all, didn't stretch at all, it'd be very hard to get, get that basketball through that rubber band. So The Webster technique is a chiropractic approach to looking at the joints of the pelvis and the ligaments of the pelvis and making sure that they're functional, that as the baby tries to come down, they're not tight and rigid. If they were, if there's a lot of tension down there and there is significant amount of amniotic fluid, then babies wouldn't, why would the baby choose to be down there? They'd go under the rib cage where there's a lot more space. But Even if they were trying to get head down, it would be difficult to do in that rigid situation. So the chiropractic technique is an analysis of the joints of the pelvis, making sure that they're functional and movable like they're supposed to be, so that when the baby tries to move, they accommodate those movements. I added to that a massage technique, because I have a massage and chiropractic background, and since the pelvis is musculoskeletal in nature, uh, the chiropractic portion is addressed by the Webster technique. And we do this uterine release technique where we, with massage, release the muscles of the low back, hips, and pelvis. Everybody leaves our office with a more stretchy and elastic rubber band than they came in with. And it makes it more inviting for the baby to be able to come head down. And it makes it more functional for them to be able to get head down.
2: Now, Sunny, did you, I can't remember, I I know we've talked about chiropractics in the past, but when you were pregnant, did you receive chiropractic care?
3: No, I didn't. But you know, I really wish I would have, especially, you know, towards the end when it starts feeling really, really uncomfortable. I know that it's probably good to have it throughout. But when you start, you know, into that third trimester, especially when I was pregnant with the twins, I really think that that could have helped. I mean, it only went to 35 weeks with the twins. That wasn't a full term. But still, no. I and but I totally believe in the benefits of it, and I wish I would have you know invested more time in. I mean, it.
1: the only way we can fully tell is if you have another set of twins,
3: <laughs> which is not going to All happen. Right.
1: I'm just in the name of science, <laughs>
2: right? Yeah, Sunny, take one for the team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, well, I I received um, some chiropractic care towards the end of my pregnancy because I was going for a V back, and my first um, who ended in C-section was Sunny Side Up. And we didn't realize it until labor. So I was really trying to pay attention to fetal positioning and um doing what I could. So I did see a chiropractor who practice Webster technique. And I was able to have my my baby the way I wanted. And she, she ended up still working on turning throughout labor and kind of mm-hmm. came out with a sideways cone, but but we worked it out. <laughs> we worked together. Yeah. So I definitely do see the benefits. But now, Dr. Fishbein, um, if chiropractic care doesn't seem to help baby settle into a favorable position, what can be done maybe on the OBGYN side of things to encourage baby to turn?
4: Well, we talk about um, acupuncture uh, and moxibustion they tend to go hand in hand. Moxibustion is, as far as I'm, you know, I, again, I'm not a um, Chinese medicine uh, expert, but moxibustion is this thing where you burn some sort of herbal combination and you burn it by the small baby toe of the mother, which is one of the points where apparently that causes the baby to to get more active and, and possibly turn. I'm not the person to ask that question about because I quite frankly don't really know that stuff. I defer that to the experts who do.
1: I don't know if anybody's exactly sure how that works, but there are there are both Eastern and Western studies on that that have been published. There's at least one in the Journal of American Medical Association, and uh, it also concludes that we're not quite sure how it works, but statistically, it does seem to work. It typically makes the baby move spontaneously. Those points that, that we're warming up in the toes are uterine points, and so we use this burning herbal stick called a MOXA stick, M-O-X-A, and it heats up those points and the uterine wall starts to relax and the babies just start to squirm around in there. And so the combination of using chiropractic and massage to loosen up and create a more functional space and then using Chinese medicine to stimulate naturally more movement in that space is very synergistic. That's how we get most of our babies to turn without touching them.
4: We recommend the spinning babies website at spinningbabies.com. And they have uh, inversions and other uh, exercises that they can do. Need elbow to, knee position to try to get the baby out of the pelvis to encourage the baby to turn. Some people use hot packs and cold packs, try to get the baby to turn play. You can play music by the, you know, down, you know, comfortable, quiet music down below to get the baby's head to go down. There's a lot of, you know, little tricks that you can try. Some of them work, but you know, it's hard to say that, you know, what percentage work and what they don't and whether the babies will sometimes just turn spontaneously. If you did nothing, uh, But uh, once, you know, if chiropractic care doesn't turn the baby and we're stuck now at about 35, 36, 37 weeks, um, you know, it gets less likely as each week passes that the baby's going to turn spontaneously.
1: I would just add into that um, hypnosis and meditation can be very helpful. Oftentimes there's tension, internal tension because of sometimes you're just holding on to things. Sometimes there's anxiousness or fear and uh, it can be very powerful. Sometimes on the table while while people are meditating into a more relaxed place, you can just feel everything relaxed, and the baby responds and moves around more with that as well.
2: I can actually completely agree. um I did used a lot of visualization for my VBAC uh, in pregnancy, yeah, a lot of meditating on it and just visualizing my birth, visualizing what you know my baby working with my body and I am <laughs> I will tell any mom who has any sort of fear or anxiousness around her birth to do that because i I really believe it does help. <laughs>
1: My wife used to listen to a meditation like that during the first pregnancy before, you know, towards the end, third trimester to help decrease any fears about birth. And I used to listen to it, too. And it also helped me relax. And, um, you know, it was a lot of breathing and then starting to visualize each muscle group relaxing. And then the first time I heard it and they got to now look inside your uterus. Uh, <laughs> I, just woke, I woke up in a cold sweat but it was relaxing for her. So yeah. As far as hypnosis
4: goes, in my experience, I use hypnosis uh, often when I try to a- attempt an external cephalic version. And um, hypnosis for for labor and labor relief in general is a very good tool. Um, so, you know, we in the home birth world, we don't use medicine. We don't have epidurals. We don't uh, have fentanyl or other drugs that help alleviate labor, but we allow women to move and we allow women to use water and massage and rebozo But hypnosis is also adds a great benefit Both in the uh, labor process and also in the attempt to baby tr- uh, turn a baby with external version
2: Sure and when you're talking about the external procedure, um, when is that typically done in pregnancy? I think you mentioned maybe 37 weeks, or is it
4: usually. Uh, well, external version is usually done around 37 weeks uh, if they if the diagnosis of breach is made at that point. Sometimes breach isn't diagnosed till 40 weeks, and you can still try it at that point. The reason the 37 weeks is considered optimal is because at that point the baby is considered to be cooked well enough that. If for some reason during aversion there was a problem and you had to deliver the baby emergently by cesarean section, you're not going to be delivering a premature baby. But also at that point, their babies are smaller than they are if you wait much longer. And the uh, baby to fluid ratio begins to get into a more unfavorable uh, point as the pregnancy progresses. So optimally 37 weeks, but a lot of women don't discover their breach until they're or they may have been head first at 37 weeks. They come in for their 38 or 39 week visit, and suddenly the baby's breech. So you can do it at any time.
2: I see. Well, great. When we come back, we'll go over the delivery options for breech babies. We'll be right back.
0: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Welcome back. Today, we're talking about breach presentation and childbirth options with Dr. Stuart Fishbein and Dr. Elliot Berlin. So it seems that when a baby is breached, it's common practice for mom to schedule a C-section. We talked about that a little bit earlier. So Dr. Fishbein, why is that?
4: <laughs> now that's a can of worms. You know, a lot of people should watch the Heads Up. If they really want to know, they should watch the Heads Up documentary that Elliot produced. But in my opinion, the, um, the main reason is, is because people are either afraid of breach delivery don't know how to do breech delivery. It's more expedient to do a cesarean section. People, some people feel it's safer to do a cesarean section, but I think that that's misguided, uh, it's a misguided generalization. I think that if you properly select your breech patients according to a protocol and you have the ability and skill to do it, that breech births vaginally um, are better for the baby and mother than a cesarean section in just about every instance. But that's not the general consensus, because the general consensus is sort of the fear-based consensus that, you know, breach is dangerous because the head could get stuck, and and I don't know what to do because I'm not trained, and a C-section is just easier. You know, the ironic thing about that, uh, you guys, is that the breach baby born by cesarean section is still born breach. And they still have to know how to deliver a breech baby because you're still delivering a baby breech. It's just through an abdominal hole instead of a vaginal hole. And ironic, and also in the term breech trial, which was the the nemesis of those of us that support breech delivery, it was a paper that came out in 2000 that sort of changed the world for breech because it it initially found that it was safer to deliver babies by cesarean section who were breech than by vaginal delivery, but Within a couple of years, the methodology of that was challenged and, and, the, and the study was proven to be uh, flawed. But the worst injuries to babies in that study were babies born breached by cesarean section. So it doesn't guarantee you an injury-free birth. You still have to have somebody who knows what they're doing. They're just not teaching things like uh, breached vaginal birth and putting forceps on babies, that sort of thing. That's why, you know, it's just easier. It's more expedient. It's probably economically better for the hospital. And uh, medical legally, uh, doctors are sort of have this impression which I think is a bit misguided, but it is an impression that it's, you know medically legally safer to do a cesarean section. And for people who don't know how to do breech delivery, that's probably true.
2: Right. So when you say vaginal delivery is an option, how would a woman go about attempting this when it seems so one-sided towards a C-section?
4: Well, you have to find a skilled practitioner, and that's getting harder and harder to find. And in many states, midwives are still allowed to do breach delivery, and midwives are, are trained in breach delivery, I think, less so today than they were 15, 20 years ago. But there are still many midwives out there who know how to do it. Unfortunately, California passed a law in 2014, um, or it went into effect in 2014, that makes it illegal for a midwife to do breach delivery in California. And there are fewer and fewer practitioners like me and Dr. Wu and Dr. Barry Brock at Cedars in Southern California who are doing breach deliveries, and you know, As we retire or as we you know, decide to slow down, um, if they don't begin to reteach breach delivery in medical residency programs and uh, don't change the laws uh, in Sacramento and other states, um, it's going to be very, very hard to find somebody who's willing to do a breach delivery. And again, people who don't know how to do it probably shouldn't be doing it, but it seems like they should be clamoring to learn how to do it. And that's the thing that bugs me very much is that residency programs are not teaching breach delivery anymore. And the intellectual curiosity of a, a resident is such that they just want to get through their day, most of them. And they're not clamoring to be taught the skills that make obstetricians unique. I mean, what makes our specialty unique, you guys, is is that obstetricians do breach delivery and twin delivery and forcep delivery and can pull up, reach up and pull out a second twin and turn a baby. And these are the skills that are, sort of disappearing in residency training programs. And if obstetricians aren't learning these skills anymore, then I often ask the question, what's the purpose of an obstetrician? I mean, a midwife can do a normal vaginal birth. We don't need obstetricians for that. A family practice doctor or a general surgeon can do a cesarean section. We don't need obstetricians for that. A maternal fetal medicine specialist can take care of high-risk obstetric patients. We don't need obstetricians for that. So I think, you know, accidentally... The residency programs and the academicians who who run them are are making their own profession obsolete. And I wish that they'd understand that and begin to reteach the skills that make obstetrics a unique and valued profession.
2: Right, Doctor Berlin, in your with your experience as an educator and labor doula, what would you say to the mom who hopes for a vaginal birth of her breech baby? Like, what steps does she need to take to make that a likely option?
1: You know, you could take about the. Take out the breach baby in that question, um, increasingly. I think the policies that we have around childbirth, the fear that we instill in women about childbirth have them going in terrified. And we also have our providers terrified, doctors and younger residents in particular. Just look at the whole thing as a train wreck mm-hmm. waiting to happen. I mean, um, I think I once heard doctors to say this of everything I learned about flying in an airplane. I learned from watching TV or movies or newspaper headlines uh, or from friends who had terrible uh, near death experiences in airplanes uh, you 'd never get me into an airplane ever. Uh, I would think that every airplane is either going to just have engine failure and fall out of the sky or be hijacked or have snakes on it and that 's what we 've done with childbirth we 've made both the providers and patients so incredibly terrified of the whole process and when you 're in fear, everything all your your body reacts to fear by By going into fight or flight mode, getting ready to run or fight for survival and all the blood flow and nerve flow that's supposed to be going to your core, to the muscles, but also the organs of the core, uh, go into your arms and legs. And they leave you, you know, incapacitated both with fear and physiologically not having the tools you need to be able to labor. So you could almost take the breach out of that question. How do you have a vaginal delivery these days? It's getting harder and harder. And the statistics show that it's now one out of every three babies born by cesarean so, I would say these tips almost apply to everybody who would like to give themselves not only a good shot at a vaginal birth, but like an enjoyable experience, a meaningful experience. The one that's specific to breach is what we mentioned earlier check early, check at 32 weeks. Don't be terrified at 32 weeks, it's just a pink flag, but learn what your options are at 32 weeks. And some of them, like the chiropractic, the acupuncture, the massage, and uh, homeopathic things, positional things, you can start at 32 weeks safely. Uh, the second thing I would say is, is you know, when you pick a provider, if you want to have a vaginal birth, an empowered birth of any kind, pick a provider who's on the same page as you. I sometimes see people just open up the insurance book and pick a provider, you know, by throwing a dart at that book. As long as they're in insurance, then they'll go with that provider. But oftentimes you're not on the same page at all with that provider. And um, they may not support natural birth, vaginal birth. Uh, In general, certainly not if you start to go outside the textbook a little bit. For example, if you've already had a cesarean and want a vaginal birth, or if your baby's breech, or if you have twins, you need to know those things ahead of time so you don't have to panic in the final moments of your pregnancy. Certainly with breech, there are still, and we have at our our website that hosts the film, is called headsupfilm.com. And uh, we have a list, a growing list of providers uh, in the United States and Canada who still attend breech birth, who still offer that option when you meet certain safety criteria. So those are good practitioners to go with in general so that when you get to the end of the pregnancy, it doesn't matter. But they are very much used to people switching in the ninth inning, literally, because they're the handful who are left who have the skills to safely deliver breech babies. Um, And then the other thing I would say is, consider the various options. The natural means for getting the baby into uh, the ideal position, the medical things that Dr. Stu talked about, the external version for getting the baby into a head down position and figure out which ones make sense to you and explore them and and go for them sooner than later. Um, And then finally, I would just say also to consider the cesarean. Uh, I don't by any means think cesarean is, is a bad technique. I think it's a great miracle technique that we're able to offer, a medical marvel, to safely and quickly get a baby out Mm -hmm. um, surgically when we need to is a wonderful thing. And if it was used sparingly when it needed to be used uh, or when somebody really wanted it to be used, then I think we would all be praising the cesarean uh, the problem is we, I think, can all agree that one in three is overuse. Right. And when you overuse medical technology, we do we end up doing more harm than good. Uh, just like CPR, if I do it on somebody who has no pulse and no breathing, even if I break all their ribs, I'm still a hero. But uh, if I just take a random person, put them down, start doing CPR, I'm going to go to jail for assault and battery. <laughs> even though it's the same technique, right. it's the wrong person. I end up doing more harm than good. So uh, those are my things that I sort of educate when, we, when I teach childbirth education or I get referrals. I see about three breach visits a day in my office, a lot, even before the movie came out, but now even more. Sure. And um, that's what I tell them, whether they come in at 32 weeks or 39 weeks. Here's the things that you can do naturally. Here's the things you can do medically. Here are the providers who can help you if the baby doesn't turn. And um, it just usually would have gone a lot better if they would have had that information significantly earlier.
4: I say all the time, and I believe this to be true based on my own life experience and, and the literature, is that breech babies uh, properly, properly selected will succeed or fail to, to deliver vaginally based on the same reasons that a headfirst baby will succeed or fail. You know, the idea that C-sections are the default position it has really been an evolution over the last 30 or 40 years. I mean, there there has been a change from 1970, where the C-section rate in the United States was 5%, to 1990, where it was 22%, to 2010, where it's up to 32%. And the idea was, well, if maybe if we're having an improved safety that, okay, so we can justify the 500% increase in cesarean section rate. But the truth is that the statistics on neonatal mortality and morbidity haven't really changed dramatically in the last 40 years. And yet the C-section rate has gone up, as I said, fivefold. The reason for that is one, they're not teaching skills anymore. The reason is fear of liability. The reason is exp- expediency. The reason is the logic when it, things to coming, like things like banning vaginal birth after uh, cesarean section. I mean, breach deliveries... If it's taught, there's no really difference in the labor pattern. The biggest fear, of course, is the head getting stuck. But if you know what you're doing and you know how to put forceps out on the rare occasion where it's needed, I don't ever have that fear that the head is going to get stuck. And there is actually no hurry to get the head out, by the way. People think that if the head's stuck, the baby's going to suffocate. Well, the truth is that, you know, that's called anthropomorphization. It's where If you had your head stuck in a log, you guys, you'd you'd be panicking because you couldn't breathe. But that's because you're using your nose and mouth and trachea to breathe. Babies are not using their nose and mouth and trachea to breathe. And if the head comes out first or last, it really doesn't make any difference. they are still getting oxygenated through their umbilical cord um, as long as the umbilical cord is still intact. So again, we need to bring back logic and common sense. And then we can get rid of some of this overuse of cesarean sections. I mean, even if you think that, the World Health Organization will state that 10 to 15% of women in the in the country sh- or in the world should have cesarean sections. So if we if we're doing 32%, that's basically double or more than double the World Health Organization recommendation. And if you think about the fact that there's about 1.3 million cesarean sections done every year in the United States, that means 700 to 800,000 of them are probably not necessary. Can you imagine the outcry if we were doing 700,000 unnecessary gallbladder surgeries or knee surgeries or hysterectomies or anything else, people would be up in arms about that. But yet for obstetrics, it's just, it's crickets, crickets.
2: And Dr. Fishbein, what would you say the risks and benefits are for each delivery option for breach? Um, because I know a lot of providers aren't really trained. They are nervous with liability. What are providers seeing as a risk for a breach delivery? Other, I mean, you did mention a head getting stuck. Are there any other risks?
4: Well, yeah, you could injure the baby. Um, again, remember I said that both vaginal birth and cesarean section, you still need to do a breach delivery. And any breach delivery, like any vaginal delivery with a head first baby, there's a potential for injury to baby's shoulder, arm, one of the bones, the clavicle or the humerus bone, um, the, you know, the, there's lots, you know, bruising on the butt or the genitalia, that's pretty typical, but that's just, you know, that's just transient. Um, those are basically the same risk, but as I said before, in the in the main study that did all the damage, the term breach trial, the worst injuries were babies born uh, breached by cesarean section. So it doesn't necessarily mean that a cesarean section is risk free, and of course with the cesarean section you also add the risk of of scar tissue, uh, pain, more likely to hemorrhage, infection, the the, po- the problem of a possible, you know, the dealings with a VBAC afterwards, and the possible uterine rupture issues that come up, or the banning of VBAC in certain locations. So, you know, th- what's really ironic is that areas that don't allow VBAC are, are not doing anything to prevent the first cesarean section, and it's just it it it's again, it's the feeling is in the general community that cesarean section. Is this innocuous thing that's just done? It takes 35 minutes to do, and you're in, you're out. You know, it's it's not a problem. And for the most part, amazingly, in our in our century, it is true that that surgery today is is not as risky as it was 50 or 100 years ago. But it's still a major operation, and it still carries with it a lot of risk, a lot of scar tissue. I mean, scarring, the problems that go along with chronic pain and the potential for fertility issues and all that stuff. Not to mention that we even have, haven't even touched on yet the whole psychological issue of allowing a woman the choices and the ability to, to deliver in the way that she wants to and the effect that it has on a woman when she feels disempowered or disrespected.
2: Thank you. This wraps up our episode of Preggy Pals for today. Thank you, Dr. Fishbein and Dr. Berlin for joining us today and shedding some awesome light on breach delivery options. For more information about our show, as well as information about any of our uh, experts, our panelists, visit the episode page on our website. This conversation continues for members of our Preggy Pals Club. After the show, we're going to talk about breach home birth options.
3: Okay. So before we wrap up our show, we do have um, a submission from one of our listeners for a segment that we like to call pregnancy brain blunder. So if you have been pregnant before, you guys know how this feels, right? It's like everything's going to creating your baby and sometimes your brain just doesn't seem to function properly. So we love to hear the funny stories that you send us of proof that pregnancy brain does exist. Okay. So this actually uh, comes from Mary. And so Mary is a truck driver. Well, shes I shouldn't say she's a truck driver. She drives a truck. I guess there's a difference, right? So she owns a truck and she says – so kind of picture this, right? Um, Real short statement, but Mary says, I went through a car wash – with about two hundred dollars worth of groceries in the back of the truck, and that's all she said. So I'm assuming there wasn't like anything covering the groceries. She, you know, you know how it is. I mean, I think that's one of the great things about having a truck, right? That you know you can just kind of put everything in the back and not worry about it. And she obviously thought her truck needed to be washed. Goes through the car wash, and I guess you know the the positive side is what the vegetables got an extra wash in there. You know, some <laughs> other stuff. Maybe she did have to do as much prep that night for dinner. But then again, $200. Hopefully not everything was uh, you know, went down the drain there as far as uh I can only imagine how she felt when she got out the other end. I'm surprised no one like flagged her down. So anyways, Mary, we feel ya. We feel ya. So thanks so much for sending this in. We really do appreciate it. If you have a funny pregnancy brain blunder that you would like to share with our audience, we would love to hear it too. You can email us through our website at newmommymedia.com. Also through our website you can send us a voicemail. So if you want to tell the story yourself, because usually you will tell it better than I will tell it, uh, you can go ahead and uh, leave us a message through the website and we'll put it on a future show
2: that wraps up our show for today we appreciate you listening to preggy pals don't forget to check out our sister shows newbies for postpartum moms during baby's first year parent savers for parents with infants and toddlers twin talks for parents of multiples and the boob group for parents who breastfeed this is preggy pals your pregnancy your way
1: this has been a new mommy media production the information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider.
3: How would you like to have your own show on the New Mommy Media Network? We're expanding our lineup and looking for great content. If you're a business or organization interested in learning more about our co-branded podcasts, visit our website at newmommymedia.com.